Hi, listeners. Rachel here with an exciting announcement. We are holding a summer book club bingo game, and there is a card that you can download, a bunch of prompts for different types of books that you can choose to read to play the game along with us. All the instructions and information on how to sign up are at rachelthompson.co slash book club, where you can get your card. And you'll also be able to enter your card to win prizes throughout the summer months. So that's from May to September. We'll be running this book club bingo. I hope you will sign up and uh, read some cool books and be inspired to do some more writerly reading this summer. So all the information is at rachelthompson.co slash book club. Welcome, Luminous Writers, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. I am your host, author and literary magazine editor, Rachel Thompson. This podcast explores how to write and share your brilliant writing with the world. In each episode, we delve into specifics on how to polish and prepare your writing for publication and the journey from emerging writer to published author. Hello, Luminous Writers, and welcome to the third in my series of special episodes of Write, Publish, and Shine as I take you on a deep dive into the creation of Room Magazine issue 46.3, Ghosts, where I was lead editor of the issue. You can pick up a copy of said issue at roommagazine.com. I encourage you to go back to the last two episodes if you're just tuning in, starting at episode 80 for context. You can find that at rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 80. In this episode, I speak with another contributor, a very special contributor to our ghosts issue. One of my jobs as an issue editor at Room is to commission one established writer to be featured in the magazine. So we have one established writer who goes alongside the emerging writers, generally who are submitting to the slush pile of the magazine and we're selecting from. To do so, I started by searching for writers working in the genre of ghosts and scary stories and was pleased to come across an anthology of Arctic horror stories, Tack to Me, and thought, oh yes, when I saw that a writer, Aviak Johnston, published a brilliant and spooky story in that series. So I invited her to be our commission writer, and she said yes. Aviak Johnston is a young Inuk author from Agluluk, Nunavut. Her debut novel, Those Who Run in the Sky, was released in the spring of 2017 and shortlisted for a Governor General's Award that year. This is a detail you'll hear I got wrong for a moment in our interview. It was shortlisted. It didn't win. Uh, Sherry Dimeline won that year for the Marrow Thieves, so she was up against some great competition. In 2014, she won first place in the Aboriginal Arts and Stories competition for her short story, Tarni Kuluk, which also earned her a Governor General's History Award. You'll hear Aviak Johnston speak from the heart about how such incredible early success impacted her and her writing. So here is Aviak Johnston. So I'm going to start by welcoming you, Aviak Johnston, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I want to just jump in to say, to my delight, you said yes to our commission to write a story just for room. And from the moment the mysterious woman arrives in your story, you're in repair shop. We know something's wrong. She's ageless. She makes Akba, our narrator, uneasy and then makes her do something she doesn't want to do. I'm curious about 
I guess the experience of first being commissioned to write something and being like, okay, now write, but also how did you craft such a villain for us? Most of my stories always involve some sort of supernatural element and most Inuit legends and folk tales are very magical in the way like spirituality, like belief system with the every living thing has a spirit and there's some people in our culture who are more equipped to talk to spirits or interact with them and those are our angakoks or shamans and in most of my previous work I depict shamans kind of lightheartedly or I don't know if lighthearted is the right term but they're usually good people at heart and they're working for the better of their community but we do have shamans who were evil <laughs> and who did a lot of bad and were actually working more against the greater good. I wanted Kunuk to be, I don't know, like she's just looking out for herself, but also I wanted her to represent the people who didn't react well to when settlers came up here and when our lives started transitioning to the more modern style where we have traders coming up or, you know, started creating settlements and communities and I wanted her to represent that resistance to that and also like she's ageless but it's because she's working every day with the environment she's working with spirits and with animals and she represents like a way of life that I've never had the opportunity to have and I've always wished I had more access to that so she's just cool and <laughs> i know she's bad but <laughs> i love her <laughs> she's like a badass too yeah it's true setting is so vital to this story too and you really render that and all that comes across as well what you're saying about reacting to what's happening in the setting as well too the changes over time settler colonialism can you tell us about the setting and the choices you made to render the setting for people less familiar with it. So the community that Akpa and her family lives in is very much based on where I grew up in Igloolik. And the community is very close-knit. Everyone knows everyone. You can't really do anything without everyone else knowing about it. The part where her shed becomes like a place where people can gossip, it's something... I grew up around gossip my whole life. I'm still around it a lot, but the gossip here in Yakali is very different from what it was when I was growing up in Igulik. And it's just because in Igulik, I was a part of the community too. And like from my childhood till I left when I was 16. But here in Yakali, I'm still a bit of an outsider because I'm not original Yakali. <laughs> so... I wanted to depict that the gossip, it's not always a bad thing. And it shows that there are certain standards in the community for behavior. And it helps people to realize like, oh, okay, so that person is like that. So I guess that's not how we're supposed to act sort of thing, because that's just how we looked out for each other and made sure that our kids were safe and all that. But also like her dad 
making carvings to sell for $60 so he could buy weed. <laughs> it's like so common. And that character is not based on my dad <laughs> because my dad, he used to run the Northern store in Igulik and he just knew when people would come in to sell carvings to him because the Northern store in the nineties used to buy carvings. I don't know if they still do, at least maybe not in Iqaluit, but maybe in the communities they still do. But he just knew that that person made that carving just to be able to buy some weed. <laughs> and he always like bought, <laughs> but <laughs> just like there's these certain characters that are kind of in every community. And I wanted to show that. Yeah, wonderful. I love what you say too about that function of gossip. It's sort of like whatever people are telling you it's not good that someone else did is like instructive. Okay, that's how we're not supposed to behave. And if I were to behave this way, people are going to talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) That character where, or the line where like girls that try to fight anyone who looks at their boyfriend, like I had been punched in the face (laughs) for being on a group project with a boy (laughs) before. And there's a lot of jealousy in our communities too. And it's just, oh, don't talk to her boyfriend. You might get punched in the face. (laughs) So it's very much rooted in reality <laughs> yeah <laughs> that sounds like very personal experience so that's good <laughs> little did they know that you're a writer and that you would be writing about that and that's how you would <laughs> like okay that's good inspiration <laughs> i'm actually from a smaller community in northern Man- almost northern manitoba and so i write that part i definitely recognized as being a familiar setting in terms of the jealousy and some of the more petty parts of the gossip for sure so I loved how you rendered that. So I'm wondering as well, because you said the quote I found for you, and I think I used this in the issue as well too, that it's impossible for me to write reality or to have a story set in the modern day. And I'm just curious about, I guess, why that is, if you've reflected on that. And then what times do you feel drawn to and what keeps you bending reality? Well, like, What about that is juicy for you in terms of your writing? My favorite genre to read is fantasy and all of our stories are legend like any legends that i grew up hearing have that element mixed in i'm not very interested in reality (laughs) usually i love my life and i love the everyday day-to-day i don't know it's how it is but when i'm telling a story i just want to get to push that creepy thing that happened in my peripheral vision I want to push it out. And so like the community I grew up in is also riddled with ghost stories everywhere. Like we told them all the time, if we had a break in class, we would tell ghost stories. And it's also a very strong community in storytelling. And, you know, where I grew up in Igloolik, it's the home of the Isilma Productions company. <laughs> I grew up watching these movies that were made by Inuit for Inuit, all in Inuktitut, and they always had these elements of supernatural abilities. So it's just something that just comes naturally to me to twist the narrative into the cusp of reality or, or the edge of reality. I think now I've matured a bit. <laughs> I do find myself gravitating more to root stories in our communities and i have experiences every day where i'm like 
mm, that could have been really creepy if <laughs> if this happened instead and i think the joy of writing is that you can explore those ideas yeah you know the story that you wrote for us is very grounded in a real place but yeah then it sort of like goes askew a little bit as soon as the woman arrives to the shop I love hearing that about how your mind is already always thinking about these sort of like what ifs and what might happen. So that's sort of how you're moving out in the world, it sounds like. I'm wondering what is a day in the life of your writing and just your practice and habits and inclinations as a writer? I actually have a day job during the workday. I am program coordinator at a nonprofit here in Iqaluit. So I run cultural and community-based programming in my community. But because I was a freelance writer for a few years and I found I hardly wrote anything. When my job is writing, I struggle. And I found when I first started my job two years ago as a program coordinator, within the first month, I had written more than I wrote like when I was a full-time writer. <laughs> I definitely find that when I'm working as a program coordinator, I'm interacting with my community very often, and that's where I draw most of my inspiration. So I have to have like a day job <laughs> in order to write better or write more. Because when I'm stuck at home in my head, I'm just like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and my first book, I wrote it when I was working full time for the government of Nunavut. And I wrote it so fast in like six months, which I can't even imagine doing that now. But I do find my process in writing is I have to make a pot of red rose tea and I can <laughs> suddenly the juice start flowing. I also prefer to write on airplanes if I'm traveling or at a very busy coffee shop somewhere. <laughs> When I'm in private, I like, oh, I'm going to read. I'm going to go on Facebook. I'm going to do this. But when I go somewhere in public, it flows more easily. I, I don't know why. <laughs> Probably it's ADHD or something. <laughs> the novel that you wrote in six months, was that Those Who Run in the Sky? Yeah, I was working for Department of Finance in the government of Nunavut and there wasn't a lot of work for me to do. So in my free time, I'd write and it went by very fast. <laughs> I mentioned the title too, because I know that book won the Governor General's Award for Literature for Young People. And I'm doubly amazed now to hear that you wrote it well. You were also working full time somewhere, but that sounds like a great, there's some kind of great synergy happening between what's happening outside and what's happening in your writing. What did that mean for you that when? for you and your writing. How did that feel? I didn't win. I was shortlisted. Oh yeah, sorry. Shortlisted. Yeah. <laughs> but it was really amazing. I mean, I was like 22, 23 maybe. I was just out of college. So it was really exciting and it was my first book and I came into the writing world very blind. I taught myself I learned to write by kind of reading people's writing and then like mimicking their style, not plagiarizing, <laughs> but just like, oh, that was a cool turn of phrase. And 
you know, when I'm writing, sometimes you can tell if I was reading Stephen King at the time or whatever. So I'm very inspired by other writers. And when I got shortlisted with my first book when I was very young, I very much was excited and, okay, I'm going to dive into this. And I had amazing opportunities to meet some of the other writers that were nominated that year. Or I became friends with Cherie Demoline, who won for the Marrow Thieves that year. And it was just so amazing to come into this world of Canadian literature, kind of really feeling a bit of imposter syndrome. <laughs> and then after that, doing my second book where I felt more grounded and sure of my own voice. It's kind of crazy that it happened when I was so young and I still am young, but <laughs> I'm a little bit wiser now. <laughs> I hope I can get on the list again someday. Having had such success, like as your career really took off early in life, where do you see your writing going in the years to come? Having that experience when I was so young was definitely eye-opening and I felt like I had a lot on my shoulders and I didn't know a lot of other Inuit writers at the time too. So it felt like I had so much I had to represent and carry. And now that I'm a little older and a little wiser, I do know my relationship with writing better and my role in the community as a representative. I ingrained my stories so deeply in our culture and stuff. I do feel a certain responsibility. At the same time, I do want to explore my own ideas and not always have to feel so constricted by, oh, you know, I maybe I'm not representing this situation correctly or I don't know enough about this situation to be able to show it or all these things that run into your head when you're a overthinker and a writer, <laughs> all that. I was thinking, that girl that punched me in the face, she wasn't that bad. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I like remember two months later, I was like, hi. <laughs> like, just so it was like, I don't know, it happens to everyone, I guess. Everyone has bad days. <laughs> yeah, I think I know myself and I know that I have to have this separation of like my work life and my personal life and my writing life. I kind of compartmentalize myself into these different roles. So, my writing life, I have to kind of treat it like I can't have it be my whole life. So I love when I come back to it and I have a great time, but it does overwhelm me and take a chunk of myself <laughs> away. Mostly because I don't really like talking about myself. It's a part of our culture. We don't really talk about ourselves. So, you know, I put all this energy into like, yeah, and this is why I was inspired by that and blah, blah. And so, when I do that, I have a really great experience every time. But when I'm done and I'm back home, I'm very tired and overwhelmed. So I would love to come back into this world and I would love to be back on the governor general's list and, you know, going to all these writers events. But I do know my limits now and I have these very strong boundaries with writing and I don't know why. <laughs> I'm stepping away from my conversation with Abiak Johnston just for a teensy moment. I'm not actually currently accepting registration for any course or program right now. 
My membership community is closed for new members until the new year. I've just wrapped up the intensive course enrollment and we've started working together in the right Publish and Shine intensive. My revision love course is the next one coming up, but it won't be open for registration until later this month. So I think I will just tell you instead that the best way to find out about what is coming up, what courses I'm offering, what things are available for writers, is my newsletter called Writerly Love Letters. And in each letter that I send out pretty much every week, right now anyway, I'm in the rhythm of sending it out each week. I sometimes take mental health breaks or seasonal breaks as well. I'll probably keep sending every week until about mid-December or so. But they're filled with support for you and your writing practice, letters of encouragement. Um, This week I'm working on a newsletter that will contain a lot of links to publications or news about publications from writers in my course and membership community. I hear from a lot of writers who love getting that roundup of where everyone recently published because they get to read some really cool stuff, but they also get to find some new places maybe they hadn't heard of before where they might send their work, especially if they resonate with the work that my members or course community participants have published. So you can learn more and sign up for my letters at rachelthompson.co slash letters. That's rachelthompson.co slash letters. That sounds just really great self-knowledge because we definitely want to read more, I think. And I'm getting that there's the writing and then there's the talking about the writing and the book tour, I think is sort of what you're alluding to as well as like going out to market the book and how training that can be and I think that's relatable for a lot of writers who are introverts and want to spend time at home and (laughs) maybe would rather not do all that. Two years ago, I think my last children's book came out and uh, Grandfather Bowhead Tell Me a Story. It came out during lockdown, I think, or I don't remember now, but my publisher was putting it in for awards and I had to like sign agreements and stuff. And there was one where they're like, if your book is selected, you have to be willing to tour and do talks and all this. And I'm not willing to do that. I mean, that was probably at the height of like the worst part of lockdown. And now that I think about it harder, I'm like, oh, I should have been softer on myself at the time because I felt so bad that I couldn't really put a lot of promotion into that book. But at the end of the day, I like, my mental health is very important to me. <laughs> so, it's probably a good thing. Yeah, I think that's great. And I mean, I'm just appreciating that because, you know, most of the writers listening to this are emerging writers. So this might be like a note for future them to think about their mental health when it comes to the promotion side of their books. Actually, I wanted to ask you just any advice you have for writers on handling feedback, both good and bad, I guess maybe handling success, it sounds like even too, as well as the setbacks. I mean, for me too, I I did very much go into this industry. I don't know if I'm using the term right, but like off the cuff, like I didn't go to school. I, I did try, I went to a uh, University of Ottawa for a year for English and tried to go that route and quickly realized, okay, this is not for me. <laughs> so I I left University of Ottawa and went to a smaller college in North Bay and took a different program. And again, that helped me write 
more because by then I was editing my first those who run in the sky I don't know why but when I have like something tangible to focus on when I do my writing stuff it just works better when I jumped into the writing literature scene it all feels like a fluke but it was stuff I was working towards since I was like 15 so when it all started happening it was very exciting but quickly realizing I don't actually know a lot <laughs> about what being a writer is and I don't know the industry very well. At that time, I wasn't reading a lot of Canadian literature content and I hadn't read a lot of Indigenous books. So I did feel flung into this world and <laughs> I learned very fast, like, uh, I should probably understand where people are coming from and I should read more local talent and keep up to date. And <laughs> I think that led to a lot of me flip-flopping, like I'm not doing enough to represent myself, but I'm not doing enough to support the community, like the writer community and the Indigenous literature community. So I felt just that imposter syndrome just like what am I doing here <laughs> you know kind of being thrust into a spotlight which was amazing <laughs> and very cool but it was so overwhelming that I think I did retreat into myself and into feeling bad because that's the first step is usually you don't really think of yourself very positive at least I don't and after therapy <laughs> I had to learn that you can't carry the weight of the world on your shoulders and you can only do work everything step by step. You can't control what's happening around you. You can only control how you react. So I'm still working on reading more Canadian literature, but I'm learning like I need to just read in general before I can be like, I have to read an Indigenous book, and then I have to read this, and then I have to, you know, I have to give myself the light-hearted New York Times bestseller fantasy books. The joy of reading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds like a lot of responsibility that you felt as an Indigenous writer. And, you know, hearing that, it seems like, oh, here's another extra layer of burden, <laughs> because it's the success also comes with, now I have to represent a whole community and... Is that fair to say? Like, am I putting that? Yeah, I did feel that. And also at the time, like right now, but in the last five to 10 years, there's so much more just responsibility in general that everyone is taking. And we have to be conscious of our role in our communities and the space we're taking. You know, I'm white skinned Inuk. I'm half Inuk, half white. and most of my characters are not based on me where I'm basing them on people I know and my community. And sometimes I'm trying to represent people who aren't represented, but I'm privileged and I don't know how to say it, but like I need to be responsible in how I write and how I represent my community, especially as a privileged person in my community. I think that's something I didn't, quite understand until I was on panels in front of hundreds of people and I was like oh <laughs> I'm way out of my depth 
that's something like that might be specific to me because I am from a small town. I'm from a pretty isolated part of the country. There isn't a big literature scene where I am. And, you know, I didn't have libraries growing up and I just didn't have much access to what the literature world can bring and the community it has. Because when I was growing up, you know, I was a teenager at home reading in my bedroom. It wasn't really something you shared with your friends. It was just like a private thing. And it wasn't until I was a lot older that I finally had like friends who liked to read too and all that. And yeah, so when I jumped into this going to events and stuff like that, I've never really had this opportunity to talk about these things before and it was just (laughs) a lot (laughs) overwhelming and had to learn a self-care routine to be able to be okay with that I guess. Thank you for sharing that experience because I think even though like you said maybe that's specific to you but I think I'm sure there's lots that's very resonant with a lot of our listeners as well and central to that seems to me it's like learning what works for you as a writer and taking care of yourself so that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it's weird because I love writing, but I talk about it like I don't like it. I do love it, but I do find I have to recover from it. <laughs> so I think it's just a different part of my brain. And it's the part where you're self-conscious and have low self-esteem. And that's why I have such a strong boundaries with my writing. Well, and I think it shows in your craft is all encompassing. So it's like taking a lot out of you to put it on the page. Just really appreciative. Thank you again for sharing that commission piece with us and I'm thrilled that our readers in room get to read it. And I hope those listening to this podcast are encouraged to go and check it out as well. I finished my interviews with this thing I'm calling the quick lit round, (laughs) which basically is like a complete the sentence kind of exercise if you like to do it. And people go long or short. It sort of doesn't matter. So the first sentence to complete is, Being a writer is? Being a writer is exciting. (laughs) But it sounds like it's complicated for you not to put words in your mouth, but it's complicated a bit too, right? Yeah, I think that's astute to judge. (laughs) Yeah. Being a writer is complicated. Literary magazines are? Literary magazines are important. And editing requires? Editing requires divine powers (laughs) that I do not have. I appreciate all the editors in my life. (laughs) Rejection for a writer means? Rejection means opportunity for growth, even though it hurts. And then finally, writing community is? Writing community is beautiful and welcoming. I would say. I've felt so uh, welcomed and privileged to have met the people I've met so far. So. <laughs> well, wonderful. I feel privileged to have had your piece published in Room to be able to be one of those editors working with you. That was really fun for me. And just thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Is there anything else you'd want to add to people listening anything you well i hope that people do love the earring repair shop it's my first thing i've written since covid like since the first lockdown in 2020 
And it was such an incredible experience to write again and to dive back in. I really love the story and I'm glad that it's my way back to enjoying such a big part of my life and something that I love, <laughs> even though <laughs> I just spent the last hour saying I have strong butter. <laughs> but I do love the story and I hope people enjoy it as much as I do. Yeah, and I just love knowing the story behind the story too, of what's happening with you and your writing and the fact that we pulled you back in <laughs> to some writing by asking yeah. you the right <laughs> Thank you, Abiyak. Yeah, I, I really thank you so much. It was such a privilege to come back with this opportunity and have such a joyful experience throughout. So that was Aviak Johnston. I was struck by so much of this conversation and grateful for the levels Aviak took us, including talking about her relationship to writing. I wonder if anyone else resonated as I did with the idea of having a private reading habit as a young person in a community of not bookish folks, perhaps. And I really appreciated when Aviak said, I know myself and I have to have that separation and compartmentalization of my writing life and my personal life and my work life. I appreciated when she talked about knowing her limits now and having really strong boundaries with writing after some tough experiences handling early success. Being thrust into the spotlight, which as she said was amazing and very cool, led her to retreating into herself. And I think a lot of introverts out there can relate to that. I just have been speaking with coaching clients this week, writers who are taking my intensive course that I've talked about before. So now we've actually started and hearing from them about some of their fears about showing up and being seen with their writing. As Aviak said, I don't really like talking about myself. It's something she found out while she was on a book tour. So I loved that after uncomfortable experiences, she made real choices when she was promoting her next book about where to submit her writing for consideration. She bowed out of some opportunity. She felt bad about not putting that promotion into a book that was being promoted during the height of the pandemic, but ultimately found her mental health a top priority. And I think a lot of people can also relate to that shift that happened in the pandemic, maybe, where we realized that our mental health is a priority and there was a little bit more permission perhaps across the culture to be able to embrace that as a priority as well. So you might feel that weight on your shoulders when it comes to the representation of your communities too, as Aviak described, but whether or not that's true, you very likely have had the experience of getting caught up in the wave of what we might think success means for us in our writing and having it crash down. I'm not sure. I've aspired to be a Governor General's Award-nominated author, but perhaps, you know, a lot of us think of those big awards as being something to really strive for and an exciting opportunity, and maybe they're not all they're cracked up to be is part of what I'm hearing from talking to Aviak. So you might have felt the things Aviak did about her writing before. I know I hear about such experiences, the highs and lows of being a writer from folks in my course and membership community too. So using this conversation as a springboard to cap off the episode, I want to hang out in that idea for a bit. I'm going to take you through some self-reflection on success for your writing, what it means, what obstacles you might hit along the way as you hit those goals you set for yourself. And often those goals, by the way, are set many, many years ago in childhood when you dreamed of becoming an author. 
The first obstacle we might hit as writers is the dual-edged sword of fear of failure and fear of success. Now, the latter might surprise you, but maybe less so after having heard my conversation with Aviak Johnston just now. But fear of success can appear on the surface as very similar to lack of confidence in our writing. We might simply avoid submitting the work to that lit mag or that contest because we fear both the potential for rejection and the potential for all the attention and praise that could come from our success. So we put it off, procrastination kicks in, or my least favorite, perfectionism, where our standards for our writing are so unachievable, so high that we might even quit projects or self-sabotage. Do you, like me, recognize any of these reactions as a fear of success for your writing instead of the more obvious fear of failure? Do you not only worry about hearing no to a submission, but maybe a bit about hearing yes? Maybe you anticipate how others, family, friends, other writers will see you if you reach a milestone in your work. I personally had not too dissimilar an experience when I won a contest for book publication. I've told the story before in my community and maybe a little bit in my other podcast, the Currently Neglected Writing Grief podcast. But reaching my lifelong goal of becoming an author wasn't everything I'd hoped. In part, this was because I did win a contest, as I said, that a lot of my writing peers entered. It was a contest hosted in a community of writers, which I already belonged. And even some of the people reading the manuscripts were people I knew, although they were required to pass on manuscripts if they knew the author. So that's how I knew is I heard from one person who said, oh, I didn't read your manuscript, but I knew it was yours, even though the submission wasn't labeled, because they had been workshopping with me. So I worried, possibly rightly in some cases, about how other writers I knew who entered the contest felt about my win. And when it came to do a mini book tour for Galaxy, my collection of poems. Unlike Aviak Johnston, I don't mind doing readings and sharing my work. That probably doesn't surprise you as I'm here talk, talk, talking each week on my own podcast. However, I definitely experienced fraughty feelings akin to what Aviak Johnston described and big energy drains after attending events. So what can we do to live with this and get around our fear of success? In my experience and hearing from Aviak Johnston, I think self-knowledge is vital to this. She really set firm boundaries on her writing and got really clear on what she wanted from her writing life, which was, in her case, a lot of balance with other aspects of her life. And in your case, of course, this might be different depending on where you come from, a tiny town of 2,000 people, a marginalized population, or maybe you're hailing from a big city or family lost in the crowd. How do we figure ourselves out enough to figure out what we need? I found for me and the writers I work with, looking at our early experiences is a good start. How did our early experiences influence how we see our successes? To illustrate for me, I was often embarrassed when I did well and when the spotlight hit me as a child. Clearly, I've worked at this and found the medium, hello audio and people, hello lovely writer humans I work with, that lets me shine without shrinking myself. The epiphanies I needed to have before I could get there, though, were to see how social connections were fragile in my past. I needed to avoid people getting jealous and so would hide my own light at times, deliberately doing badly on tests at school or dropping out of a recital. I hold that dear person I was who wanted to make others feel better by dimming herself in my heart today 
but I also honor that person by showing up and shining as much as I can and in ways that feel fulfilling and expansive for me. Another personal example that I'm sure is quite universal is I experienced early on and in my early work life, especially many times when my ideas weren't deemed good enough, but then surprise, the same ideas said by a cisgender man a little later suddenly made them look brilliant. By the way, they were brilliant when I said them the first time. So I want to connect this light stealing experience to what Aviak Johnson said about imposter syndrome because I have come to think of imposter syndrome not as a feeling we have, and certainly not a medical condition as the language around it would suggest, but a condition imposed on us because of how we were and are devalued in society and our relationships. See the dude stealing my ideas from before. So I don't want to minimize Aviak Johnston's experience or description of feeling like an imposter, But my feeling is that we are made to feel like imposters, i.e. not good enough. And it's not us who is the problem when Friday feelings come up about our writing, because that's a feature, not a bug in the systems that we live in. So this is an external problem that we have internalized. As I say, knowing ourselves, knowing these things about ourselves feels key to unlocking the fear of success and going for what you want. It's just becoming aware of it can really help shift our thoughts. Put them down, I recommend on paper, so you know what you're up against and can see them in perspective. And often when I do this myself, I find my fears very ridiculous and can laugh at them. But even when I don't see the humor, I simply appreciate knowing why I respond the way I have in the past to both success and failure. To facilitate this, I have created three journal prompts for you, dear writers, and I hope you might carry these into your rumination today. You're mulling things over time or maybe into your journal or notebook for today. The first question is, what is your vision of an abundant writing life? Maybe said differently, what is your vision of an abundant writing life? Maybe it's not winning that award you think you need to win to be taken seriously. Maybe it's not publishing in that specific journal. Maybe it's simply connecting with that one reader who really needs to hear your words. My second question for you is what are your greatest hopes and fears about your vision? So now that you've created that vision of an abundant writing life, what are your greatest hopes and fears? What are the best and worst outcomes of achieving your vision? So If you reach that success, what's the best thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen? And then how do you imagine you would respond to either of those? So the best and worst outcomes, how would you respond to those? And then my last question is, what practices can you bring into your life that would help you with this response? If I was too quick with those questions, you can catch all the prompts up in the show notes for this episode at rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 82. So when it comes to practices, by the way, I hope you noticed that Aviak Johnston spoke about how she manages with self-care practices. So when you dig into that final question, I encourage you to really think about what will take care of your mind and body as you face any fears you have of success. And that might include simply taking the time to relax and sleep. Those are my personal priorities right now, along with deep breathing practices. 
And focusing on my mental fitness and physical well-being helps me rise to the occasion when it comes to my writing life and my life life. And lately, one thing I've been meaning to go back to is a digital Sabbath, a term that I really like, meaning a day entirely away from my phone and technology tools. I love, love the tools I use because they connect me to a big community of writers. That's you as you are a member of that community. But all of my courses and community programming are online after all. So clearly I'm really enamored with the tools and the technology, but I also love the stillness of a day spent untethered by technology. So I hope you will wish for me this week that I can find that digital Sabbath moment of stillness. And I wish for you to find the answers that will help you prepare for success on your terms. All of the books that we mentioned in my conversation with Aviak Johnston and anything else of importance are linked in our show notes at rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 82. I say this every time. Sometimes we miss things. So if you find something is missing, it happens. And just email me at hello at rachelthompson.co to ask for the resource. And thank you for tuning in to a third episode on Room Magazine Ghosts issue 46.3. The issue, as I mentioned at the top, is still available for order at roommagazine.com in both digital and paper versions. In our next episode, you'll hear from room publisher Nara Montero, our book reviews editor, Micah Kiljoy is still coming up, and more of the folks involved in the labor of love that is producing one single issue of one single literary magazine. Again, I ask, is your mind blown considering the sheer number of folks who make one single issue of one lit mag? The Write, Publish, and Shine podcast is brought to you by me, Rachel Thompson. You can learn more about the work I do to help writers write, publish, and shine at rachelthompson.co. And when you're there, you can sign up for my writerly love letters sent every week and filled with support for your writing practice. If this episode encouraged you to work out your fear of success slash failure, I would love to hear all about it. You can always email me at hello at rachelthompson.co. And I encourage you to tell other luminous writers about this episode. Please do this by sending them to the podcast at rachelthompson.co slash podcast, by searching for Write, Publish, and Shine wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you for listening. I encourage you to do things on your own terms. Aviak Johnston spoke to me from Iqaluit, Nunavut, and you may have heard me mention in previous episodes that I currently am a guest in the South Sinai, Egypt, which has been part of many land disputes, often violent. This means I am relatively near, though not very near, the heart-wrenching situation in Gaza. I feel remiss not to state my horror at the pain and loss of Israeli and Palestinian families and what they're currently experiencing. In each episode, I also name the Indigenous Bedouin community in the specific region I am on right now, which is the El Muzina Bedouin. Join our game of book club bingo this summer. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash book club.